Today on Awaken to Grace, we continue in part seven of our series, Walking with Jesus, where we are marching our way through the book of Mark. Well, today we come to the all-important chapter of seven, and oh, the great lessons, the great principles that we draw out of the scriptures. Well, we are being introduced to a woman, the Bible calls her the Syro. Phoenician woman. And today we're going to see her faith in action. We're going to see that it appears at face value that Jesus insults her. It appears that Jesus rejects her. It appears that Jesus would ignore this woman. Have you ever felt ignored by God? Have you ever felt abandoned by God? Well, that's what we're talking about today, and we are going to see what this woman did when she very easily could have felt offended by God. Oh, I hope that the Lord not only touches your heart, but perhaps you know someone who is hurt by God right now. Perhaps you know someone who is disappointed in the Savior. Oh, share this sermon with them, because many times in life, we can't take things at face value. It might be that God is doing right now more than meets the eye. That's what we find with this woman. Let's watch her faith in action today on this edition of Awakened to Grace. Mark chapter 7. Amen. This text today is quite complicated. It's a bit difficult. In our text today, a Syrophoenician woman, and I'll explain all about that, is going to approach Jesus, fall at his feet, and beg him to heal her daughter. And the Lord Jesus Christ does the most unusual thing. The Lord will do the most unusual things in this passage. If you're going to take notes, I want you to note this. Number one, the Lord ignores her. Can you imagine Jesus ignoring anyone? Number two, the disciples rejected her. I don't know if you've ever felt rejected in life. But what a thing when God's people reject you. I don't know if you've ever come to church and been in a room full of people but felt like they were all strangers. I don't know if you've ever reached out to someone who was supposed to be compassionate and supposed to pray for you and supposed to care for you and all you found was a cold shoulder. And then lastly, this woman could have been insulted. For the Lord Jesus said to her, it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to dogs. What in the world was Jesus doing? What did he mean when he called her a dog? We're going to explain it all by the help of the Lord today. Are you ready to learn from God's word? I don't know how many of you have ever felt ignored by God. I don't know how many of you have ever taken something to God in prayer, a burden, an overwhelming situation, a circumstance that was far beyond your control, and you were met with silence. 
I don't know how many of you have ever expected God to help you and yet been disappointed with God when he was silent toward you. Some of you are listening today and you know what it is to be hurt by God. Some of you are listening, whether in the building or watching online, and you know what it is to be offended by God, to be let down by him. Let me tell you, precious friend, you, what you're feeling, what you're going through, This text is for you. God had you in mind when he allowed this story to be in the Bible. And if you ever hear anything that this pastor tells you, I want you to understand this. You cannot find gold by raking for leaves. No, my friends, do you know how you find gold? You have to dig. You got to mine for gold. And let me tell you, the most precious treasures of the Bible are not found by reading it at face value. The most precious treasures of the Bible are not found in casual reading. The most precious treasure is found when you dig in the word of God. And today, if we will dig right here, I promise you, we are going to find gold today. Amen. And let me tell you what will happen. God is going to build your faith. And if you're somebody that you're hurt by God, if you're somebody that you're disappointed by God, I've got good gospel news for you today. God is about to change your life this morning because we're going to dig in the word of God and you're going to go home with some gold. Amen. God's word is so precious. And today we're not just simply going to read it. We're going to study it. You know, people who study the Bible for a living, you know what they're called? Theologians. Theology. That's the study. Ology. Theo. God. It's the study of God. But let me tell you, just because someone is a theologian doesn't mean they know the Lord. Just because someone is a theologian doesn't mean they believe the Bible. Doesn't mean they're born again. In preparation for this, I came across a, air quotes, theologian. Her argument was that this text proves that Jesus was not a sinless man. Her argument was that had Christ been perfect in his nature, had Christ been sinless in his nature, there is no way that a perfect sinless man would treat a woman like this. There's no way that a mother would come to the Lord Jesus Christ with a broken heart and say, I need your help, and Christ would have called her a dog. And her conclusion was that this proves that Christ was not perfect. What a sorry excuse for a theologian. No, my friends, there... (laughs) Well, we're going to go through it step by step. I'm going to show you today just how precious, how unbelievable, how thrilling, and how exhilarating the story of the Syrophoenician woman really is. You ready to get into it? Let's get our shovels. Let's dig today.
Verse number 24, the Bible says, and then he arose and he went to the region of Tyre and Sidon. Now that's significant. If you're gonna take notes, let's understand first a bit of the context. Remember, in the beginning part of chapter seven, there is a group of Pharisees that come down from Jerusalem. Now these are bigwigs. These are the big guns. And they're gonna come and they're gonna challenge Christ. And they're gonna have a verbal scuffle. And Christ is gonna get into yet another debate and yet another argument with these with 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 the highest uh, religious minds of Israel of this day and they're going to treat him with contempt by the time that we get to verse 24 and we see the verbal scuffle that Christ has with the Pharisees. Here's what I want you to understand what's going on with the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember that the beauty of the Gospels is that it not only shows us that God was 100% God, not only was Christ 100% God, he was also 100% humanity. And you know what? One thing that I value as I study the Gospels, I value how tired and exhausted Jesus would get. Now, that's something. Because today, if you're tired in life, and let me tell you, but you know what? Let's use a better word, weary. You know, there's a difference between being weary and being tired. When you get tired, you can go to sleep for eight hours and wake up refreshed. But when you're weary, a good night's sleep don't always fix it, does it? And Christ knew what it was to be exhausted. If you remember when Jesus calmed the sea, do you remember what happened? It was quite fascinating. He was asleep in the stern of the ship. Now, friends, let me ask you, how tired do you have to be when you're in the stern of a ship that's about to break apart from the storm and you still won't wake up? You're pretty tired. Mark paints the picture for us when he tells us that Christ was almost physically crushed by the crowd. See what's going on. We're talking about a day where there's no hospitals. There are no emergency rooms. There's no long-term treatment care options. There is no medical science. There is no breakthrough in technologies. And people were desperate. And do you know what? Word spread everywhere according to the Gospels. People knew if you but touch his what? Garment. You will be healed. Friends, this became a very dangerous situation for Jesus and the disciples. When the Bible says that Christ attracted crowds, we're not talking about crowds with a 15-foot distance. We're talking about people that their only hope The only hope they had of survival was to touch his garment. We're talking about people who were at the end of their rope. We're talking about people who were literally desperate just to touch him. And it was a dangerous thing for Christ. You remember last week in chapter 6, after the beheading of John the Baptist, the disciples desperately needed time away. They tried to get to a place of, des- of desolation, a place of, of retreat. And the Bible says that there were so many people following them, they could not even eat. You remember that? 
They get in a boat and people along the shore recognize him. And the Bible says they run on foot. And before you know it, a crowd has gathered. Jesus couldn't get away. By the time we come to verse 24, he and the disciples are exhausted. So do you know where they go? They go to a region called Tyre and Sidon. Now, this is interesting. If you're going to take notes, let me give you a number of things to write down, and you'll, hopefully you'll find this as fascinating as I do. Tyre and Sidon is what is in today, modern-day Lebanon, okay? This would have been Gentile territory. As a matter of fact, this is the furthest Jesus traveled physically when he was on the earth. This is as far as he went physically. Now, what is he doing? He's trying to get away. Christ and the disciples need some time. They need to relax. And so the Bible says that he goes into a house. I read that as they got on Airbnb.com and booked a place. I don't know, probably not. But they go into a house. And verse 24 says that he didn't want to be known. But notice what it says. He could not be Hidden. Isn't that interesting? Now the story is going to escalate. In verse number 25, we are told that a woman comes to him who has a little girl who is possessed by a demon. And why has she come to him? The Bible says because she what? She heard that Jesus was there. What in the world did this woman hear about? As you know, I can't wait to meet these people in heaven. <laughs> I'm just going to investigate. <laughs> and I can't wait. I, again, the Bible don't tell us her name. I'll get to heaven. I'll just have to say, anybody know where the Syrophoenician woman is? Because I got some questions. What did she hear? Maybe she heard about the paralytic who was let down, lowered down from the roof that we met in chapter 2. Maybe it was the man with the withered hand that we met in chapter 3. Maybe it was the man with the leprosy from chapter 1. But do you know who I bet it was? I bet it was chapter 5. I bet it was Jairus' daughter who was a little girl of the age of 12 that got so bad she died and the Lord Jesus raised her from the dead. Amen? I bet she heard that story. And something remarkable happened. God put faith in her heart. And she said to herself, I got to get to Jesus. Maybe she heard about the woman with the blood disease who suffered for 12 years and spent all she had on physicians and didn't get any better but grew all the more worse. And what did she say? If I could but touch the hem of his garment. What in the world did she hear about Jesus? So here this woman is. She's desperate. She comes. She falls at his feet. She comes with humility. And listen to what John Mark tells us. You know, I'm as fascinated with what the Bible does tell us as well with what it doesn't tell us. It don't tell us anything about her husband. It doesn't tell us her name. It doesn't tell us her occupation. We don't know if she was well-to-do or if she was poor. Here's the only thing that the text is going to tell us 
and I want you to write it down. Number one, she was a Gentile. Now that's going to be significant because it's going to shape the way that Christ talks to her. And we, we, we have to understand some of the context here. So, number one, she's a Gentile. Some translations say she was Greek. And the reason it says Greek is because she would have been what was called Hellenistic. That means that Greek culture, she would, she would have been in, in this Greek culture where she spoke Greek and it was Hellenistic. John Mark is telling us some things here. The second thing he's going to tell us is that she was Syrophoenician. Now, what does Syrophoenician mean? Remember, this is a part of Lebanon, and it would have been an area controlled by the Syrians. So she was Syrophoenician. I have spent some time in Lebanon. I've been there twice to Beirut. And I remember on my first trip to Beirut, I made a great, great mistake. In Lebanon, they speak Arabic. Well, in our Western thinking, if you speak Arabic, you must be Arab. I mistakenly referred to the Lebanese as Arabs. Whoa! I was corrected very quickly. My friend said, no, no, no. We are not Arabs. We are Phoenicians. Who was this Syro-Phoenician? She was from this region, Tyre and Sidon. Now, why is this significant? If you're going to take notes, note this. Tyre and Sidon, this region has an interesting history with the Jews. Number one, you need to know, remember when Solomon built his temple, much of the wood came out of the cedars of where? Lebanon. It came out of Tyre and Sidon. These were important port cities. But do you know who else came out of Tyre and Sidon? That woman in the Old Testament that the Bible calls Jezebel. Anybody remember Jezebel? This region was a hotbed of paganism and idolatry. This is foreign territory to a Jew. When you get into the New Testament days, it was the famous historian, the Jewish historian Josephus, that tells us that the people of Tyre and Sidon were one of the most bitter enemies to the Jews. So it begs the question, what is Christ doing here? What are the disciples doing? Verse number 25, I'm sorry, verse number 26, the end says that this woman who we know very little, but now we have a little bit of backstory. We know she's a Gentile. She's Hellenistic. We know that she's a Syrophoenician. We know that she's desperate. We know that she heard about Jesus. And she comes to him in a spirit of humility, falls at his feet. And look at the last phrase of verse 26. It says that she begged him. Now, this is interesting because in the Greek, this word beg doesn't just mean one time. It is ongoing. It is, it, it is pluristic here. She continues to plead with him. Now, why is that significant? If you would like, you can note Matthew chapter 15. That is the parallel story in the Gospels to this story. Now, what's interesting to me is that while Mark records more miracles than any other gospel, 
Mark is a fast-moving text, right? Remember, we keep saying it's like a moving script. It's fast-moving. Remember the key word of the book of Mark, which I think is in verse 25? Remember what it is? Immediately. What does immediately mean? In the Greek, it's ethos, E-U-T-H-O-S. It's used 45 times just in the gospel of Mark. Think about that. It's only used 41 times in the entire New Testament apart from Mark. And just in the small gospel of Mark, it's used 45 times. Why? Because Mark is driving us. He's pushing us. There's an urgency to decide, are you going to follow Christ or not? It's leading you to a decision point. And let me tell you, the Syrophoenician woman is a beautiful example of deciding to follow Jesus. So he uses the word immediately because there's an urgency here. Now, Matthew, on the other hand, when you read the account in the book of Matthew, Matthew's going to give us a lot more detail. And do you know why? (laughs) Matthew, before he began to follow Jesus, was a tax collector. Tax collectors were hated in Israel. Because do you know how the job of a tax collector worked? The emperor in Rome would tell the governor of this area, in this case Pontius Pilate and King Herod, he would tell these men, you're going to pay X amount of dollars to Rome in taxes. So just to make it up and to make it easy, he would say, you're going to pay Rome $100 in taxes. What the governors would do is then they would go to whoever was over the district, and they would say, you're going to pay taxes out of people, and you're going to pay $125. And then they would go get their tax collectors, like Matthew, and they would say, you're going to pay $150. And then the sleazy tax collectors, like Matthew, would go to the people and say, you're going to pay $175. And do you see how everybody got a little bit off the top? That not a lot has changed. <laughs> then Matthew gets converted and he takes his little tax table and he walks away and he leaves everything to follow Jesus. But see, Matthew would have had to have had a great skill in that day. To be a tax collector, do you know what skill you had to have? The ability to write shorthand. Let me tell you, friends, many of you have got unique skills. And if you would offer those skills to the kingdom of God, you wouldn't believe how God would use your skills. You know how I believe God used Matthew's shorthand? Matthew was able to write verbatim the discourses of Jesus. Why? He had shorthand. Matthew tells us more details. Why? Because of his ability for shorthand. Isn't that interesting? So Matthew tells us a lot more to the story. I want you to notice what Matthew is going to share with us about this story. If you're going to take notes, write this down. Number one, Jesus ignores her. This fascinates me. Matthew tells us 
that when she began to plead with him, he answered her not a word. What is going on? Is Jesus in that bad of a mood? Is Jesus just so tired and so exhausted that he don't want to deal with her? Or is there a deeper reason why? Do you use a streaming device at home or at work? Simply say, hey Google, play Awaken to Grace with Chad Roberts podcast and listen to our weekly podcast that is the current sermon that I preach each week at Preaching Christ Church.